Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, We're going to be winding down a series this morning that we started on Easter uh, that I truly pray has been helpful to people, uh, helping in equipping us to answer questions about our faith and responding to people to share, here's why we believe what we believe. Uh, when we started this series back in 2015, not that we've been doing it that long, that's the first time we did it, um, the world was in a different place, totally different place than it is now. But the reason was the same. We wanted to equip people to be able to share, here's why we believe what we believe. But now we're, we're sharing it with that same focus to equip people to say, here's why we believe what we believe, but also to make sure that people who are questioning their faith aren't leaving their faith. Because right now there's this whole movement called deconstruction where people are abandoning their faith if they don't get the answers to questions that they're asking about their faith. And Some people are holding them at fault, but I really don't hold them at fault. A lot of them are leaving because either Christians, well-meaning Christians, or pastors are criticizing them or demeaning them for asking questions about their faith. And when we started the series, I said that um, if you look through the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament letters, especially the letters from the prophets, are God speaking to the people to answer their questions. Because they're like, hey God, why is this happening? Hey God, what's going on? So God sends a prophet and he answers. And if you read through their books, uh, you'll see over and over where God says, you say this, but here's what God says. You say this, but here's what God says. And then when you get to the New Testament, right? The reason the apostles wrote the Gospels was to answer questions from people who are like, what is this whole Christian thing? What is, what is all this about? And if you read through letters from Peter, uh, from Paul, letters from John in the New Testament, and even James, the brother of Christ, Jude, they all jump from topic to topic to topic because they're answering questions about people's faith. The church was like, hey, how do we do this? How do we live out this? What do we do when this happens? So they would write a letter and they'd answer questions about their faith. So here's my thing, right? If, if, if the Holy Spirit thought it was good and the prophets thought it was good and the apostles thought it was good to answer questions about people's faith, then how many people think, yeah, if people ask questions that we should probably take the time to answer questions about their faith? I'm the only one with my hand raised. Does that mean just me? <laughs> okay, we should take the time. If people ask questions, that doesn't mean we have to be like Bible scholars, but we should be at least be willing to answer questions when people come up with questions about their faith. So I'm going to do a quick recap of, of, of the things we talked about so far, and then we're going to talk about this last thing that I hear people say. And this is not like exhaustive. This isn't everything that people are asking. But these are a lot of the common questions that people are asking uh, about their faith. So we started on Easter Sunday and we started talking about the resurrection because some of us have friends who say the resurrection isn't real. Has anyone ever heard someone say that? Resurrection never happened? Okay, a couple of people, yeah. So what we said is, hey, here's the evidence, same evidence for any other thing in history. Uh, Here's the evidence that exists, even evidence outside of the Bible, for the resurrection, right? 
And so the early church believed this so much that they didn't focus on, let's make sure everyone understands all of the Old Testament. They focused on, let's make sure everyone understands all of the scriptures that show that the resurrection actually happened. So that was their focus, right? Then we said, I have a friend who says the church just wants your money. Has anyone ever heard someone say that? Yeah, lots of people. All the church wants is your money. And we said, no, God's not sitting up there like with like a money bucket trying to get it full, right? He doesn't need our money. Um, he's literally got streets made of gold. So uh, here's the thing that God wants. He wants us to be good stewards of the resources that he gives us. And if there are congregations that are abusing the resources that God gives them, then that's wrong. That needs to be called out, right? Uh, and so then we said this. I have a friend who says, why does God allow suffering? Has anyone heard people say that? Especially nowadays with all the suffering that's going on and the craziness in our community. And here's the reality. And we said this uh, because this is what the Bible says, okay? First and foremost, we live in a world full of sin. This world is decaying and dying. So a lot of the natural disasters we see are because we're living in a, like literally a dying planet, okay? But 95% of the suffering that happens on our planet is caused by other people on the planet, right? So the suffering we see when people go out and do senseless shootings are caused by other people. The suffering we see when people go out and hurt children and hurt innocent people, it's caused by other people. So in order to get rid of the suffering... God would have to get rid of all the people. Because even some of us, we're good, we think we're good, God-honoring people. We do some crazy things that make other people suffer. So instead of doing that, what God does is he, because we live in a world where suffering is bound to happen because people are in the world, God takes that suffering and he uses it for his purposes and for good. So yeah, it would be all of our and God's will that, I mean, no one wants their children to suffer or be hurt, and God doesn't want that for his children. But for me to say, hey, get rid of all the bad people, God looks and says, yeah, but you know what? I love them too. They're my children too. And I don't want any of them to suffer, right? And I won't rehash the whole thing, uh, but we also said this. I have a friend that says the Bible is demeaning to women. Between the Me Too movement and, and all these churches that are coming up where uh, church leaders and whatever either intentionally did something wrong to women or intentionally didn't bring it to light, all these people were saying, hey, the Bible, Christianity, it's demeaning to women. And what we looked at, and then, again, I apologize because we looked at it on Mother's Day, probably not the best way to honor women, but we looked at it to show that it's not that the Bible is demeaning to women. Men are demeaning to women, women are demeaning to women, and people in general are demeaning to women. But God lifts up and exalts women, and God's the one who wrote in his word that, hey, women, you don't have to dress sexy and wear all this clothes to make yourself look good to other people, because the way that I created you is good enough. God said that. Because that's the way God looks at women. Uh, and then we did the, series, uh, the message that says, I have a friend who says the church should stop legislating morality. You hear that more and more, especially when something happens in the culture and over topics like abortion and, and, and gun control and all these kind of things. And it's not, I, I, I agree, it's not our responsibility to legislate morality, 
But we do have a biblical responsibility to say, here's God's morality. Here's the way that God sees right and wrong. You can live your life any way you want to. Totally up to you. Not for me to come and stand outside your window, make sure you're living in a godly way. Live it any way you want to. But here's what God says is right and wrong. We have a responsibility to share that. And then we said, I have a friend who says the church doesn't talk about racism. And the church, just like we're supposed to talk about morality, we're supposed to talk about what's right and what's wrong. We're supposed to talk about here's sin. Racism is sin. And the church is supposed to share that, talk about that, and not be involved in that. And then we said, I have a friend who says I'm done with American evangelical Christianity. And usually, this is people who mistake, and, and, and we shared this, who mistake um, evangelical Christianity with a political perspective. And the two are not the same. So it's not really people, and, and you hear a lot of like famous people and famous, you know, I used to be a Christian musician, author, whatever, and they say, I'm done with American evangelical Christianity. And what they're really done with is the political system and process in America. But evangelical Christianity is basically us saying, hey, I believe God is the ruler of all heaven and earth, and I want everyone to be a part of his kingdom, regardless of your political perspective, your color, your language, your nation you come from. I want you to experience God's love, his goodness, and grace. And if we call ourselves Christians, regardless of our political perspective, we have a God-honoring mandate to share that, to share his word with the world. Right, And then last week, uh, we said this, why does God send people to hell? And I hear people say this all the time, and they get mad at the answer, but the answer is God doesn't. People choose to go to hell by their choices, and God honors that. That's the answer. That's it. Now, the one that we're going to talk about this week uh, is really important, because a lot of the people who didn't understand all the other things that we talked about are the people who make this claim, Right? Uh, the people who say, I don't need to go to church. Has anyone heard people say that? They either say, I don't need to go to church because, you know, uh, you Christians are too judgmental. Yeah, but now you just judge all of Christianity, so you're kind of the judgmental one. Or, I don't need to go to church because, you know, all they want is your money. That's all they want. That's the only reason. We've already addressed that. Or, I don't need to go to church because they don't teach the truth. And those are people who don't get the good biblical teaching that all of you guys are getting, right? So all of these people who say, I don't need to go to church, when I hear someone say that, it immediately makes me think, you're the one person who probably needs to be at a Sunday celebration because you don't understand what the church is. And I know culturally we keep saying, go to church, go to church, but the church is not a place you go. We're the church. It's the body of Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to walk through that a little bit. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 16, um, starting in verse 13, right? Uh, but here's the thing. I want, I want to put all the verses up on the screen. Uh, if you have one of your, even if you don't have, if you're using a Bible, one of the ones here, uh, take out a pen. If you don't, there's some on the back table. Because I'm going to ask you to underline some stuff to make sure that we all understand what is meant when it says, I don't need to go to church. And why it's important 
And why it's not just my opinion. I want you to see why these anyone you hear say that, they're the people that need to be a part of a Sunday celebration, right? Because it's not a place you go. So in Matthew chapter 16, this is what it says in verse 13, right? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus is out um, walking with his kids, or not sorry, walking with the disciples, uh, and he asked them, he says, hey, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus is the Son of Man. When he said the Son of Man will come and sit on his throne in all his glory, and he was referring to himself. So he's saying, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was uh, what some consider to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, some consider him to be like the, the, the gateway into the apostles. He wasn't an apostle, but the gateway, this apostle John, or John the Baptist is not the apostle John. Two different people, right? Others said that, oh, you're Elijah. Elijah was one of the most famous prophets in Israel. In fact, they had scrolls. They didn't have a book like we did. They had scrolls. So all the major prophet scrolls were tucked into what was called the scroll of Elijah because he was the considered the overarching prophet uh, of Israel. And then others said, you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the prophets who came and he said, hey, thus saith the Lord, even though you don't want to hear it, here's what God says to his people. So when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Some said, hey, you're John the Baptist. You could be a prophet sent from God. You're Elijah, we know, a prophet sent from God. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In other words, they said, hey, you're one of the prophets sent from God. That, that's who people out there are saying that you are. But then, what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, Simon said, hey, they're saying you're sent from God, but I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God. The Messiah, is, uh, it's the Hebrew word is Mashiach, and it means anointed one. The one God had proclaimed would rule over Israel, would lead Israel, and would free Israel. They thought from Roman rule, but we all know, sitting on this side of history, it meant from sin. So Peter says, hey, you're the Messiah. You're not just a prophet from God. You're the son of God. And then Jesus said this. He replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. He said, this is not an earthly understanding because earthly people would look around and say, hey, you're, you're a prophet. You're obviously sent from God. But your understanding that I'm the son of God is a revelation from God. And then he says this, and this is important. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said, I tell you you are Peter, and that's a, a, a Greek word that means like little rock, like pick up a rock in your hand. But on this, and he uses another word for rock, like Mount Rushmore-sized rock, literally could be interpreted mountain, and he's referring to the revelation that God gave you, that I am the Son of God, on that revelation, that mountain-sized revelation, that I'm not just sent from God, I'm not just a man of God, that I'm the Son of God, on that revelation, he said, I'm going to build my church. And that word church is the Greek word, um, 
now I just went blank on the word, uh, ecclesia, sorry, which literally means people called into a public assembly. Right? Now, stay there, and I'm going to put this verse up in the complete Jewish Bible version, because this is, this is the way we read it today, translated into English. You know, this is what we understand it to mean, the church, the ecclesia. But the church today has a different meaning to multiple people. But if we look at it in the complete Jewish Bible version, we'll see based on the Greek language, the way that the Jewish person, person in that culture, what they would have understood Jesus was saying. So in the complete Jewish Bible version, same verse, it says this, I tell you this, you are Kepha, which means rock, and that's Greek for Peter, and on this rock I will build my, say this word with me, community. Because that's what the understanding of the church was. That it wasn't a place you go, it was a community of people. It was this, this community of believers who were called together for a united purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim the revelation that Jesus talked about, that he is literally the Son of God, and that he came here for our salvation. So here's the thing. The people who say this, I don't need to go to church, and it's not the people who, you know, I can't make it because I work or whatever. It's the people who literally say, who stand and say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need all of you guys. I can do my relationship with God all by myself. You really need to attend the Sunday celebration because you don't understand your identity in Christ. You're not meant to be a person who stands over there by themselves. You're meant to be a community, a part of a community of people called out to proclaim that Jesus is the living Son of God. And you can't be a part of a community if you're over here by yourself saying, I don't need you guys. It doesn't work that way, right? Now, really quick, uh, there's a whole bunch of other reasons why people need to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, and why they need to attend a Sunday celebration. But I want to give you three quick ones so that you don't have to memorize scripture, whatever. They will make sense to you. So when you're talking to someone and you hear someone say that, first you can correct them and say, well, you don't understand what the church is. You really need to go to a Sunday celebration so you can understand your identity because you're meant to be a part of a community. But you can also tell them this, right? The church is a community of people where reconciliation can happen. One of the problems we're seeing in our world today is that when people disagree, they badmouth one another, they fight, they argue, or they pull up arms and go do violence against people. Because they're not, they, they have no other way of understanding, how am I supposed to reconcile our differences? But if you're part of the body of Christ, one of the first things that Jesus did is say, hey, here's how you reconcile things in the church. So uh, just a couple of chapters later in Matthew 18, Jesus said this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now this isn't, I'm mad at, well, Larry's not here, so let's talk about him. I'm mad at Larry because he did da-da-da-da-da. So, so, so. That's not what applies, but that's where most people try to apply this whole concept of Matthew 18. But it is if Larry goes out and he starts telling a lie about me to people in the public, the thing is I'm supposed to go to him, right, 
with the intent of, hey, Larry, it's not so much what you're saying about me, but now you're engaging in sin and lying and gossip. And you're making that a way of life. And that's a dark road that you don't want to go down because you're better than that. And God has equipped you to do better than that. That's the goal, right? And if he listens, then I've gained my brother. But if he doesn't listen, then I'm supposed to grab Bill and I'm supposed to grab Joe and and say, hey, can we go have a talk with Larry? Not because, hey, I want you guys to be a witness to that Larry wronged me. But I want you guys to be a witness to the charge that, hey, Larry, we're all here because this path of lying and deceit and gossiping about others, it's not God-honoring. It's not about trying to put Floyd right. It's trying to reconcile Larry back to the community of believers, right? And then it says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the community. And the goal, again, isn't to badmouth Larry. It's so that we as the community can engage in trying to reconcile Larry back to us. I hope Larry is, not, Larry is online. Okay, all right. Um, uh, but then it says, if he doesn't listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. Because in their mind, they go, if he doesn't listen, we're supposed to kick him out and have nothing to do with him. Again, this is why those people need to attend a Sunday celebration so they can be taught the proper way to understand God's word. Because if you look through the Gospels, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He went to them, he ministered to them, he showed love to them in order to bring them into his kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how reconciliation happens. But reconciliation in the community can't happen if someone's over here, again, arms crossed, like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need you guys in my life, which is not correct. So uh, it's a place where uh, reconciliation can happen, but it's also where we're supposed to contribute to the kingdom. Every single one of us is supposed to be contributing to increase God's kingdom but you can't do that if you're over here by yourself. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this. He says, now to each one, and this again is to Christians. He's, Paul's writing this, and I think it was a couple of years ago we went through uh, 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth and he says to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. When someone steps across the line to become a Christian, God puts his Holy Spirit in them. Then that person, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Floyd, guess what? You have a pretty big mouth, so I'm going to use you to preach. That preaching is for the common good. It's not for the common good of Jefferson Hills, not for the common good of the United States. It's for the common good of the church, the body of Christ, right? So every person is given some gift that they can use for the common good. You can't use that gift if you're over here behind closed doors saying, I want nothing to do with you. You, the people who the Holy Spirit says, I'm giving you a gift to use for those people, right? Paul goes on and he explains and he gives a lot of detail. uh, And one of the analogies he uses is about the body. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
Right? So he uses his analogy and says, hey, some of you are a hand, some of you are a foot, some of you are an eye, some of you are a leg, some of whatever, but we're all one body. We're all supposed to be one body. We're all baptized by one spirit to form one body. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, slave, free, black, white, rich, poor, right? But again, you can't be a part of the body if you're over here saying, I want nothing to do with the body. And he even explains some of that. He gives an example and he says, for example, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So the lone Christian warrior over here shouldn't say to the church, I don't need you because you do, right? That is the whole point of being a community and being together. And then the community, the church is a community of people where reconciliation can happen, where we contribute to the kingdom, but also this, and this is key, a community committed to spiritual growth and to fellowship, committed to spiritual growth and committed to fellowship. I can't fellowship with all of you guys if I'm over here by myself saying, I want nothing to do with all of you guys, right? That, that's not fellowship. That's not being a part of the kingdom. That's not what God has called us to do. And when I was at a church in Virginia, um, I remember when I first like, okay, I need to get back into to church and, uh, I know, Sunday celebrations with, with the church and start attending. And I started attending a congregation in Virginia and my family thought I was in a cult because every time they called or contacted me, I was doing something with people from the church, the body of Christ. They were like, hey, do you want to come up and visit this weekend? I can't. I got plans. Joe and I are going somewhere with Kevin, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to do stuff together. Hey, do you want to get dinner tonight? I can't. Bill and, and Melissa have invited us over to dinner, so we're hanging out with them. Hey, do you want to go, uh, and let's plan a vacation this summer? I already planned to go canoeing with Gary and Kevin and all this stuff. And they were like, are you in a cult? Because every time they wanted to do something, and I did make time for my family, I didn't ignore my family, but every time they wanted to do something, I was like, I've got, we're doing stuff with the church. We're fellowshipping together, right? And that had an impact on church growth. Look at this. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what it says, and his gifts, meaning Jesus, were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel and traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of the flock and teachers. So this is Jesus um, through uh, the apostle Paul explaining what the roles are of some of the people in the church. First of all, he says that these are gifts, right? These roles, and these gifts are manifested through the Holy Spirit. And he said he gave some to be apostles. That's a, that's a, a tenuous topic. And I'll say this, and, and you can, you know, we can talk about it later, but I, I just don't believe there are any apostles today. Because the, one, of the, one of the ways that you were determined whether or not you were apostle is you had to spend time in the physical presence of the physical resurrected Jesus. That was one of the criteria to be an apostle. I don't know anyone today that's done that. I could be wrong. I just don't know. I mean, he appeared to Paul. That's how Paul became an apostle. He could appear to people. 
I don't know anyone today. Plus, you had to be able to perform miracles, right? But then he also gave some prophets, people to say, thus saith the Lord, evangelists, people to go out and preach to other people who weren't hearing the word, and then pastors and shepherds and teachers. But here's why he gave those things. His intention, the reason he did this, was perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering towards building up Christ's body, the church. So you can't be one of the people that's building up the church if you're one of the people over here saying, I want nothing to do with the church. Right? You can't be receiving and using your gifts to help build up the church if you're ignoring the church. But back in the book of Acts, this is what we saw that made not only the church grow, but made people say, I want to be a part of the church. And one of the reasons why we're seeing so many people going away from the church today is because we're not seeing this. They steadfastly persevered, devoting themselves constantly to the instruction and fellowship of the apostles, right? To the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper and prayers. And a sense of awe, reverential fear, excuse me, came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. And this is key. And all who believed, not just the ones who wanted to show up on Sunday, but all who believed, who adhered to and trusted and relied on Jesus Christ, were united and together, and they had everything in common. You can't be united and together if you're standing over here in your house by yourself saying, I can read the Bible for myself because I don't need the church. To me, that tells you you haven't read the Bible because you're not doing what the Bible says that this is what the church does, right? And it said they sold their possessions, uh, both their landed property and movable goods, and distributed the price among all according to any had need. Many people think, well, this is them becoming like a commune and a cult. That's not what it was. It was them saying it was like a... And I'm saying, and I've actually seen some people who've done this. Hey, all my kids have moved out. So me and my wife decided we don't need the five-bedroom house. We're going to shift down to a two-bedroom house. So when, you know, the kids come home, they can, there's a place for them to stay. And then we're going to just hold on to the money. And then when we see someone in the church have a need, we're going to help them. That's literally what that was. One of the pastors who... Um, <laughs> Christy raised her hand because I said literally again. Uh, one of the pastors who I knew in Virginia, uh, he, he, he had uh, this beautiful, I don't know the age or whatever, but it was a beautiful Mercedes from way back, and he just, I don't need to hang on to this. I'm not driving it because it's in mint condition. I'm just watching it increase in value. So we sold it and used the money to help people in the church. I don't remember the price he sold it for, but it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, But this is what people were supposed to do, right? And then it says day after day, day after day, not just on Sunday, they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose and in their homes. They broke bread according to the Lord's Supper. They partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts. So yeah, get together on Sunday, But then, hey, what are you doing on Monday night? Oh, I'm hanging out with Andrew and we're doing this and that and the other. What are you doing on Wednesday? We're doing this together. We're doing, uh, you know, prayer together. It was a regular, consistent thing. And because they were regularly, consistently devoting themselves to God, to prayer, and to help build up the body of Christ and one another, 
constantly praising God and being in favor and goodwill with all the people, the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. A lot of the reason people aren't experiencing that today is because they don't see us because we're behind closed doors. They have no idea what we're doing. They have no idea that people are, are meeting needs for one another or helping one another. And, and, and the people who saw the church regularly meeting and regularly getting together and regularly interacting, they were like, hey, you know what? I want to be a part of that community where someone loves me, cares enough about me, checks on me, and spends time with me. And so they would come. And God was like, hey, Every time someone says, hey, how do I get to know God? God was like, I'm going to send them to that community. And I'm sad to say there's a lot of communities of faith where God looks down and says, I am not sending my people there. Because they don't teach my word, they don't share my word, they don't love on one another, and they judge people as soon as they walk in the door. This is what the church is supposed to look like. This is the community of faith that we're supposed to be. So as we close out, uh, we're going to close out by partaking of communion. Because that's what we just read. One of the things over and over and over that the church did is they came together and they broke bread together, but they also partook of communion together. So I'm going to ask Kevin and Gary, can you guys come up? Gary, can you grab the the glasses from out of the office? And as they do, I'm just going to explain quickly what communion is for those people uh, who don't know. Communion is, is, it, it is a part of fellowship, but it's also uh, something that we are commanded to do. We're not told how often, we're not told whatever, but we know it has like huge spiritual significance. Right? And there should be some paper towels under there so you can kind of hold the bread down with your hands because, you know, COVID, nobody wants to touch bread that everyone else has touched, or just good common sense. But um, that being said, let me do this. Uh, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And God, we truly understand, know, and believe uh, that communion is one of the things that you give to us. And we want to take part in it today, understanding that just as you said, that when your body was broken, You said every time we partake of this bread to do it in remembrance of you. And that when the wine that was used as part of the meal was partaken of, you said it's now a symbol of your blood that was shed for us. And every time we partake of it to do it in remembrance of you. And we understand and we know that by partaking in this, we are acknowledging that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us, that you died to create this community of believers that you call the church. And we are grateful that we get to be a part of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And as you feel led, feel free to come and partake of communion. Uh, We don't have any ritualistic, you must be a member of Crossroads or whatever, as long as you understand that it's 
us partaking of the body and the blood of Christ, you're welcome to come and partake. And after the band comes, I'm going to ask you guys to come up on stage and we're going to close out with a song. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.